Deb is um, uh, from the Baptist Church in Sutton Coldfield. She is the uh, young adults worker there at the church, but she also has a role in coordinating Sutton pastors, which is why she's here today, to tell us a little about them. We've mentioned it before. We're kind of involved through churches together. We've given to it, um, but I wanted her to come and tell us a little bit about practically what happens, what Sutton pastors, what goes on. So listen in, and Deb's going to talk to you about that. At the, uh, she's going to be here for the whole morning, so if you want to find out a bit more at the end of the meeting, uh, feel free to grab her, ask her a whole bunch of questions, ask her to tell you more stories, because I know they've got lots. So I'm just going to hand over to Deb. Morning. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm working for a church. I don't often get to go to another church on a, in Sutton. Um, and I was part of a New Frontiers church at uni in Leeds, um, so it's great to be back in that kind of atmosphere. Um, so yes, certain pastors, um, there'll be some photos going through on the screen up there just for getting a feel about it, but basically the aim is to go out into Sutton, um, we're aware that we reach a very small minority of the population in actual church and in church activities even, um, and so we decided we wanted to go out, um, to where the people were. So on a Saturday night, um, there's teams of us that go out. So we go out once a month. Um, we go out every Saturday, but each person only goes out once a month. Um, and there's four or five of us, and we go. We set up a table outside Aldi and serve tea and coffee, water, hot chocolate. Um, sometimes because people can't get into clubs because they've had a bit of too much else to drink. Um, sometimes because they just want to sit and chat. Sometimes because... They don't have a home to go to, so they sit and chat with us for most of the night. We get varying different people, sometimes because it's the bouncers and they're pretty cold, um, and give out sweets and stuff and chat to them and just generally be friendly, chat to them, um, whatever they want um, to talk about. Um, we, so, yeah, so we go out. Um, we work in partnership with the police, who there's some of them there, uh, so they kind of back us up, keep an eye out for us. There's never been any problem. We've been received so well. We started last April, um, and we've been going for about a year, and it's going brilliantly. Um, we haven't really had any negative receptions from people. Um, we've been really well received. Um, we walk about as well, so we quite often find people that are on their own, they've been separated from their friends um, or they kind of got a bit lost and don't really know what's going on and we help them out, get them into a taxi, maybe give them a bag so that the taxi man will take them because otherwise if they're sick in the taxi they're not going to take them um, and uh, just keep an eye out and check people all right, pick up bottles so that there's less things for people to be hit around the head with um, and throw them away. And just generally do whatever we can to care for people. Um, and obviously we do that because we feel that that's what we're here for. We want to be, we want to make a difference in Sutton. And it's churches together. So all the churches work together with it. So it's a really good way of meeting people from other churches actually. Because you're walking about and every now and then it's quite quiet or whatever. So you start chatting to each other. And it's been good getting to know other people from other churches. Um, so, you could, how to get involved. The main reason I'm coming to chat to you is that we want as many people to be involved in as many different ways as possible. Um, obviously, you can join the teams. So, they go out from, we meet at 9.30 and we're out on the streets from 10 till 2. 
um, just chatting to people. It's very laid back, very relaxed. Um, and come back in at about two, depends on the night. If the weather's really bad and no one's out, we might come in earlier. If people start chatting to us at five to two, and there's loads of big rush of people, then we might stay out a little bit later. Um, it's been great, the different kinds of people we meet. So we've met some people who we recognize as youth from churches and stuff, and then they come along and they have a better chat with us than they ever did at a youth program. Sometimes we meet people we've never seen before in our lives and they just, they just want to talk. It's surprising how when you put on a uniform, people just want to talk to you when normally you'd walk along the street and no one would talk to you. Um, but, and they come up and they'll have theological debates with you without you even saying that you're a Christian before you've even said anything. Um, so yeah, it's a great opportunity to chat to people we wouldn't normally chat to. We've had one guy who we managed to persuade into a taxi, but it took a long time. We had a lot of conversation throughout. And uh, he realized that we were from a church, and I happened to be with another guy from Sutton Baptist. And a few Sundays later, a few things had happened in his life. He turned up at our church, and he's now doing the Alpha course and comes along and stuff, so that's great. Um, But it would be great if we could have more conversations like that that would lead on. We're starting doing prayer cards, so if people want prayer, they can write down on the cards we'll send them out. So apart from being involved, actually going out, um, it would be great. We have a prayer team as well that they have a rotor, so you can pray from home or you can come in and meet the team at the beginning and then go home, um, pray for half an hour, an hour, whatever, on a Saturday night just to support the team in prayer. Um, And it would be great to have more people on that as well, as well as when we get these prayer cards going, um, and we have prayer requests every week, we'll start sending them out to the prayer team as well. Um, and the other thing is just telling people, if you know someone who's a member of a church in Sutton that you think this might be a good way of them serving, it might be something that you know, they, they enjoy chatting to people, or it's something that would be good for their next step to step out, or to meet people, or whatever it might be, just let them know. Um, there's an email at the end of this, that people can get in touch and I can put you in touch with the right things. So there's an application form to get in touch. Um, If you want to be part of it, there's an application form. Stuart will have to tick you off as not being mental or going to, I don't know, do something (laughs) weird. So (laughs) you'll have to uh, chat to him nicely if you want him to tick you off. Um, But it's just to make sure we don't let Uh, people in that don't have anything to do with anything and then we end up in an awkward situation Um, but yeah it's just an application form and then he'll tick you off and then you can come along and even if you're not sure or you just want to see what it's like or maybe you want to pray for it but you want to know what it's about you're welcome just to email me and come along one day just for the first hour and stand with us see what happens uh, meet up with us pray with us at the beginning Um, we'd love to have people along people just knowing what's going on and aware what's happening in Sutton so yeah and if you could pray for us that would be great if um, we, we always need more volunteers so praying that the right people because it does take a certain we do have people that come and try it out and think actually this isn't for me and that's absolutely fine um, but just that we'd know the right people to chat to about it and to approach um, and that we pray that we continue good partnerships with the other organizations in Sutton it'd be great if we could build on that and uh, continue the favour that we've had. Um, and also in May, I'm going off on maternity, hopefully. 
if all goes well. Um, so just prayer that the right people, we've got people that can step up and do certain things, but just that we get the right people for that and that it all continues smoothly because it's all quite new. So, yeah, it's great. Fantastic. We're going to pray um, for Deb. Uh, oh, you've got some flies. Deb's got some literature. We're going to pray for her towards the end of the meeting. If you've got any questions, write them down now. Grab her at the end of the meeting. Ask her. Tell her to tell you more stories of the things they've done. There are loads of them. Um, but we want to just bless her before she goes today. Okay, it's now time for the kids to go out to kids' work. Everyone else, please grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 3, please. John chapter 3. Okay, John chapter 3. Before we jump into that, on your chairs there should be a leaflet that looks like this. Acoustic at Costa. Uh, we did this just before Christmas for the first time. The Costa Coffee just over at the Windley Leisure Centre there. Uh, we we t- took it over. We put some of our musicians up who are fantastically gifted and capable and said it's not a church time. Just play some music and wow the people who are there. We had a great time. Um, and we, so it was such a success. Costa said, please come back and do it again. So we're going back and do it again. There are three dates on the back. So we're doing it three times between now and summer. Uh, March, May and uh, July. The first one is this Friday. Please come along, have some good coffee, enjoy some fantastic music, um, uh, invite friends. It's just going to be a low-key kind of fun event uh, to come to. Uh, if you like good music and good coffee, that's the place to be this Friday night. All right, um, next section of our Gospel of John, chapter 3, beginning chapter 3 today. I don't know if you've ever been through any big changes in your life. Um, any things that have happened that have kind of changed the way everything's kind of, you know, nothing's the same again after you've been through that. Um, I've had a few of them over my life. I remember when I left home for the first time. Kind of, I'd grown up with mum and dad, parents, and that had been fine. Um, in the same place, we'd lived in the same village, and then I left, go home uh, to go to university to train to be a primary school teacher. And for me, that was a huge change in my life. I, kind of, I was no longer in mum and dad's house. I was in these horrible student halls. Um, but I was away from home, and it was a huge change for me in kind of dealing with that and what does what life look like now. And I thought, it's never going to be quite the same again. And then when I left um, full-time education and got a job, that was a radical change. You know, getting up and getting to the same place every day on time. And, and working and doing something all day, that was um, a change from the student life I'd been involved in. It had some bonuses, for sure. I got paid, which was always nice. But there were some things that were difficult. You know, lions tended to go out the window and, uh, and just slazing around. But it was a huge change. I remember um, when I got married. That was a big change. Suddenly I was living with someone all the time, forever, until one of us died. And it was like, wow, you know, I'm making some pretty big kind of commitments here uh, to my wife. And so we changed it. And then once we've been married a, a couple of years, we bought our first home. And that was, a, again, a big change. We've been renting this, this... We loved it. It was our first home. It was a wonderful lab, but it was basically a horrible little dive. But it was our home, so we loved it. But then we moved into a home we'd paid, and suddenly I was signing off pieces of paper that were going to last, what, 25 years a mortgage. Mortgage means death grip. I don't know if you knew that. 25 years, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm now committing to pay for something for like what seems like an eternity. And then um, a few years into um, our marriage, we had um, our first child, Levi. And he was born, and it was wonderful, but you suddenly look at him in the hospital and thought, life's never going to be the same again, ever. I've got this 
this child that I am now responsible for. I am to care for this child, to train this child, to watch him grow up into a young man and, and kind of eventually leave home himself. What a great responsibility. And you may have gone through some of them, you may have gone through different life changes, but they all come to us and they can be huge in our life and they they flip everything around and suddenly we're going in different directions and and life is never quite the same again. And when we come to look at this passage today, we're going to look at a life change. That's what Jesus is going to be talking about. But the life change he's talking about is actually more profound, more radical than any of the ones I've talked about. It is the deepest change that can happen to a human being ever. If you took all the ones I've mentioned and rolled them all up into one thing, what, I, what Jesus talks about in this passage is bigger than that, is greater than that. So as we come to this, let's just recap where we've gone. We started the, um, the Gospel of John at the beginning of the year. We're aiming to try and hit the whole of John's Gospel in 2014. We've seen that John wants to, us to understand who Jesus is. That's the purpose of this Gospel. We've seen that Jesus is the Word this eternal word who was co-equal with God, co-eternal with God, who was taken on human flesh and come into the world to reveal something about who God is. We've seen the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist preparing the way, and then John says, this is the one I've been talking about. This is the one who, who everything has been pointing to, all the Old Testament, all the prophecies. This is the Messiah, this is the one. He's here, look, there he is. The Lamb of God, he describes him as. The one who's going to take away the sin of the world. He's finally come. Then we see Jesus call his first disciples. He calls the guys to follow him. He says, you're going to come and be with me. And he makes this claim. He says, you're going to see kind of angels descending from heaven on the Son of Man. The Spirit of God, is, heaven itself is going to break in to earth and heaven is going to come to earth through me. John the Baptist said, I saw the Spirit of God remain on him at his baptism. And he stayed in him. This is the one who everything's been looking for. We got into chapter 2 and we saw Jesus' first miracle, his famous miracle, water to wine. And we saw that actually there was a new wine of the kingdom coming. There was a going to cleansing going to come through that because the water was changing those ceremonial jars used for purification. There's a new one. Then Jesus travels at the end of chapter 2 to the temple. And what does he see at the temple? The heart of the Jewish faith in Jerusalem. And he sees stuff that is just rotten. And so he kicks out the moneylenders and he kicks out those selling the animals and said, this is my father's house. It should be a place of prayer. And so he's saying there is this new kingdom is going to bring a cleansing and a purification and a change to what you see. And then at the end of that chapter we saw those who put their faith in him because he was performing miraculous signs. But Jesus said, you can't build your faith on miraculous signs. It's not enough. I won't give myself over to you. Which leads us into what we've got here at the beginning of chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, I'm going to read chapter 3 from verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that what I've said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, 
but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not know these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that they may be clearly seen, that his works have been carried out in God. All right, this is the first um, in John's Gospels of kind of the extended, they call them discourses, where Jesus is talking or relating to someone. It's one of the, the unique things of John's Gospel that there are long periods of, of either debate back and forth or Jesus explaining things, and this is the first one. And so we've got, it begins with Nicodemus coming. This guy, um, he's, he could be one of the group mentioned immediately previously who had seen Jesus' miraculous signs but, uh, but hadn't kind of put their faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus said, I won't give myself to you because your, your faith is just based on, on stuff you see, wow and show, it's not based on any substance. We don't know for sure but it immediately follows on. Um, and Nicodemus was a man who was interested but he wasn't in a place of faith to put his trust in Jesus. He was a Pharisee, he was part of the ru- ruling council, he was zealous for the law what we read in our Old Testament, for pure religions, the Pharisees as a group had kind of combed their Old Testament and they'd come up with 248 commandments that they would follow, 365 prohibitions that they wouldn't do, plus another 1,500 amendments that they would kind of add on and they tried to follow them all devoutly and religiously in the hope to gain eternal life. They, 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 were, they were zealous in their devotion and their kind of religious fervour was second to none. They wanted to follow God, they wanted to kind of be right with him. And it says Nicodemus came to Jesus and it says he came by night, which um, could be because he didn't want anyone to see him. So he snuck in by night. If you read through John's Gospel, John always uses night and darkness to kind of show uh, moral evil and the darkness of the world. That's a, that's a common image, theme of him. And interesting, with Nicodemus coming at night, it actually shows the state that Nicodemus was in. He was in darkness. He, he, he couldn't see it. And as we read the passage, it'll come out that he hasn't grasped it. Despite his, his religious devotion, he hasn't grasped who Jesus is and he hasn't seen who Jesus truly is. So for Nicodemus, the darkness was greater than he knew. It wasn't just night. There was something uh, more to him. So he comes to Jesus. He calls him rabbi, a term of respect. Nicodemus himself was a teacher and he, he offered that same term of respect to Jesus. Actually, he identifies him as a teacher uh, as well. He doesn't identify him as anything more. John the Baptist very clearly said who Jesus was. Um, and kind of, but, uh, but Nicodemus just said, you're, you're a teacher, you're just a teacher. But he said, there's something different about you. you know, you've obviously come from God because of the signs that you have performed. 
You know, there's something on you that's different because you, you, you have these miraculous powers. Yet, this didn't leave him to a place of kind of surrendering or putting his faith in Nicodemus. He just knew there was something there, but actually he didn't go um, any further with these. Um, and he, Nicodemus uses a we. Um, he's probably coming on behalf of others in the council. Maybe he's been sent as a delegate. Go and check this guy out. He's done this thing in the temple. He's performing crazy signs. Um, we need to find out a little bit more about Go investigate uh, what's that. So um, he comes to uh, Nicodemus. Jesus responds uh, straight to him. You know, he says, you're a teacher, you've come from God. And Jesus comes straight back. Doesn't, Nicodemus hasn't actually directly asked a question. And he says, truly, truly. Now, we've come across this statement Jesus uses, truly, truly. It's like saying, you've got to take seriously what I'm saying. What I'm saying is incredibly truthful. It has a power and a profound kind of impact. So listen to my words. And Jesus is going to use it three times in this section. So he's, what he's saying to Nicodemus and also to us, is actually you've got to listen to what I'm saying. It's truly, truly, amen, amen, he's saying. Take hold of what it is. And he, st- he makes this staggering, startling, puzzling statement. It says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus came to assess Jesus. Let's check this guy out. Let's find out what's going on there. And Jesus is in turn assessing him. This is the case today, isn't it? So many people kind of have their opinions of Jesus. This is what Jesus is like. They put Jesus in this box or that box. But actually it's not our place to assess Jesus. It's actually his place to assess us. And he says to Nicodemus straight, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, you can't do it. And this is, he's talking to a Pharisee. And when he's referring to the kingdom of God, what Jesus is talking about in Jewish thought is the full scope of God's rule breaking in. So there would be um, God's people with God forever. There would be eternal life. It would be that resurrection life in fullness where all God's enemies have been defeated and put away. And so it is a wonderful future to be looking forward to. And it was the hope of the Jewish people that there would be, God would come and destroy his enemies and they would have this kind of perfect life with him forever as God, their people and God. And Jesus said, if you want to get into that, if that's what you want to be, if you want to be part of that, if you want to see that, you must be born again. And he is, um, he, the Jewish thinking at the time was that all good Jews would enter the kingdom of God by nature of being good Jews. Unless they did something really, really, really bad, they might get out, but generally all the Jews would get into that and Jesus is coming right against that thinking head on refuting and saying actually if you want to kind of get into that kingdom life of God you must be uh, born again, it it doesn't matter what you do, ironically it doesn't matter how you are born, your natural birth, what your descendants are You know, if you're a descendant of Abraham that largely is irrelevant, it doesn't matter about the calibre of your learning it doesn't matter about kind of necessarily what laws you've followed or how you've managed to maintain a pure devotion. Jesus says the category to get into my kingdom, the kingdom of God, is to be born again. That's what's going to cause it to come about. This, this, this regeneration of the spirit, this, being, this radical change from inside is what happens. When we, when we studied Ephesians, uh, we looked through in Ephesians chapter 1 that, um, that actually, and Ephesians 1 and 2, it talks about us being dead in our sins. 
and, and actually for you to actually enter God's kingdom, you must be brought alive to those sort of things. So it's, it's a massive radical change. And Nicodemus is kind of stunned by this. And he just says, well, how can this be? How can a, a grown man, an old man, he would have been one of them, can we, you know, do we... Do we, do we go back inside the mum's womb? You're talking about birth. That's all that kind of birth means. Babies being born. How can we, how can we do that? It just doesn't end. So he, he brings it a total kind of earthly thinking to what Jesus is saying. And rightly so, he is completely confused because of his, his angle of attack is totally from the earthly point of view and he just doesn't get what Jesus is talking about. Jesus then goes on to clarify and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water of the Spirit... Okay, and again, Jesus is using that truly, truly thing. So he's saying you must be born again, and the way it happens is of water and the Spirit. And what Jesus is doing is referring back to his Old Testament. Um, what Nicodemus would have known this. He was, he was a scholar. He would have known his Old Testament very, very well. And he's referring back to Ezekiel 36. Let me read the, the reference. It says, I will sprinkle clean water, there's the water, on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. Just think about all the stuff that's happened already in John. Purification in chapter 2 with the water of the wine, cleansing the temple. So we've got cleansing going on. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus is saying, you, you, should, you know your Old Testament. You know this prophecy. You've studied Ezekiel. You know what he's saying, and you don't get it. And he's saying there is a total transformation that needs to come upon you that is internal, not external, not stuff you stick on the outside, laws and commands you follow, things you don't do, things kind of that, 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 that make the outward appearance look good and make you look acceptable to others. There's something that's got to come from the inside, a new heart, an internal cleansing. That's what it's got to be about. That's this being born of water and the Spirit, this cleansing of the inside with the water and then the Spirit of God coming upon you. And he goes on to say, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of a spirit. Do not be marvel that I have to tell you to be born again. He's saying, like follows like. Human babies, humans, sorry, give birth to human babies. Case in point. We've got that, we've seen that here lots. We're going to see it more. You know, babies come. That's brilliant. But actually, things of the spirit give birth to things. So if you want spiritual birth, you need to go have a spiritual parent. We need to have God involved in those things. And that's the distinction between the things of the earth and the things of God. The things of God are things of the spirit. And there is a difference between them and there is a distance between them. And if you are to be born again, it's not just an earthly fleshy thing, there is something else. Because even that phrase born again, it can be interpreted, um, sorry, translated born from above. Kind of the same, same word. You can push it either way. So actually that gives a sense of where this birth comes from. It comes from above. It comes from God. And Jesus uses um, a couple of illustrations to kind of just get this home. He uses the wind and then he uses the snake. There is two things. He says, talk about the wind. He says, you know, the wind blows where it wills. You know, you can't kind of see it. You can't catch it. You can sort of see its effects. And it, it, it blows as it is with the Spirit of God, those who are born of the Spirit of God. You can see it, the wind blows around, but you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's going. You just see it happening, you know when it's coming. I was out in my garden yesterday, um, and we've got some very tall trees at the bottom 
of our, our garden, well, actually they're actually next door's garden, but they're right at the bottom, they're huge, higher than our house. And when the wind blows, they sway nicely and make this lovely kind of rustling sound. Very nice, and they went down. I was out with the kids in the back garden yesterday, and I looked up, and they were not moving an inch. And my kind of thought was, well, there's absolutely no wind about because of the height of these, the fact that they're not moving, the wind isn't present. But when the wind is going, you can hear it, you can see it. Whenever Andrew's at our house, you always tell me how much you love it. We stand there and stare at the trees, and they're making this lovely kind of rhythmic sound. It's very therapeutic. But you can see what the wind is doing, even though you can't see the wind. And it, though it is, that is weird when people are born of the Spirit of God. You can't see, see where it is and where it's going, but when it's having an effect on something, then you can see it, then you can see it working. And so that's what it's like when people are born of the Spirit of God. You don't know where the wind's going to blow, but then when it does impact something, you can see uh, the results of it. And he, you know, Jesus kind of, is kind of rebuking Nicodemus, saying, you're a teacher of Israel, and you haven't grasped these things. You don't know kind of what's going on and he, he brings it back to himself he says actually I'm bearing witness to this you know you don't receive my testimony Jesus, Jesus teaching is unique in terms of kind of religious teachings around the world because it centres upon him it's about a person it's not about rules we follow or you know mantras we say it's actually about it comes back to a, a person and Jesus teaching always comes back to him to his testimony this is what I'm saying this is what I'm saying you need to hear me in this and he speaks to him and he's saying Nicodemus you, you have failed to grasp this and it's not, just, it's not a failure of intellect because you're a smart guy hugely smart guy, learned guy, would have studied huge portions of the Old Testament and committed them to memory. He would make all of us look so poor in our kind of Bible study. But it's actually, you failed in accepting who I am. You failed in accepting me, Jesus, as Lord and Saviour, the one that John the Baptist pointed to, the one that kind of I've demonstrated. That's what you've told these things. And he recently said, your, your mind is on earthly things. You're just focused on earthly things, not on heavenly things. And actually, you need to do that. Then Jesus goes on and talks about the second image, the image of the snake, which is drawn from Numbers 21 in the Old Testament. And um, it's quite a kind of a, an interesting story. It says, um, Numbers 21, it says, um, this is talking about the Israelites. Bear in mind, the Israelites have just been got out of Egypt, ten plagues, seen the film, Passover, which we talked about last week. Great deliverance. The people of God, a million plus, come out of Egypt, Red Sea, into the wilderness to worship God. God has done a mighty deliverance. He has, he has saved them when they couldn't save themselves from a tyrant Pharaoh. He's brought them out uh, across the Red Sea. And it says, the story says in Numbers 20 words, it says, from, from, from Mount Hor they went by the way of the Red Sea to go around to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses, who was leading them. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, they say? There's no food and no water, and we loathe this word for food that you're miraculously providing us, God. I added that bit, but they basically say we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, you think? For, they have, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that takes away these serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fire and serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, all they would have to do was look at the bronze serpent and live. 
And Jesus uses this analogy as well. He says, right, the Spirit of God blows where it, will, where it wills and it has an effect on people. And he says, but at the same time, it's also like the snake, the bronze serpent being lifted up in the wilderness on a pole. So imagine a pole, and at the top was this bronze serpent. And he says, for those people, um, they had to look at the serpent to live. If they were bitten by a snake, the bite was fatal. But if they looked, they turned, they looked at the one serpent, they would live, they would get out. So actually we have the activity of God, but we also have an act of faith on the behalf of the people. You have the activity of God working in people's life, but there was an act of faith. They would have to look at the serpent to live. And this is an allusion to Jesus' death. That term lifted up, Jesus often uses it to, to talk about himself, referring to the cross. The Son of Man will be lifted up, nailed on a cross. So this is very much ties to Jesus' death and resurrection. You would have to have faith in him. It's all about this person. So we have the activity of God blowing like the wind, hitting people's lives, but actually as well as that, kind of out of that, there would be a response of faith and trust in Jesus and him alone. It says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And the belief is in him. It's in Jesus. So with this whole being born again, it's the activity of God, and then there is a response of man in faith towards Jesus. And it goes on um, into verse 16, sums it up succinctly, the most um, famous verse in the Bible, uh, John 3, uh, 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We have the love of God here displayed. This love of God is eternal. It says, For God. So it's God's love. It's an eternal love. It's an inclusive love. It's the world. No one is outside of that. Said so the God so loved the world, that everyone is involved in that. It's a costly love. Because it says, what does that love cause God to do? Give his only son. His one and only son. Jesus willingly came. That's, and then at the end there's a universal call. That whoever believes in him, whoever, no one is outside of that. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then goes on to say, that God didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save the world, that's why Jesus came, he came to call men and women to himself, so whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And then the passage finishes there, using the imagery of light and darkness again, that uh, John is so keen on. And basically what John is doing there, he is neatly dividing the world in two. Because you can divide the world up in many, many ways, but in terms of a response to Jesus, there are only two. You either accept him and believe in him, or you don't. There's no middle ground. There's one or the other. And John makes that abundantly clear there. He talks about light. He talks about those who will put their faith and trust in him and live in the light. And then those who don't live in darkness. And it says they, they stand under God's condemnation, God's wrath, uh, for their sins, things they've done to offend God. And when you think about God being perfect and holy what you've done to offend him is pretty much everything. <laughs> All the bad things you've done, but what we don't like to think about is sometimes the good things we do to try and earn favour, they're just as offensive to God. And so actually, before a holy God, we stand condemned. And the only way out is um, faith and trust in Christ, which is kind of what Jesus has been driving at in this passage. So as I kind of, let's draw this together. I just want to quickly look at the new birth 
what that means and then um, kind of apply it to a few things for us um, today. If you want to read more about this, by the way, I've got a book recommendation. John Piper's Finally Alive. Have you ever come across this? If you just want to, he just wrote a book basically just on the new birth, on, on the whole areas around it, which of course I can't cover all in it at one sort of sermon. There's much more there. So grab that, have a read of that if you're interested in kind of finding out a little bit more. But this whole area of being born again, I just want to just go through three things for that. Um, and when it comes to being born again, I don't know, I had an experience. It was a, pecu- it was a peculiar one for me at the time. When I was at university, I met um, a young lady um, who wasn't um, a believer and she asked me, and we were chatting for some reason about um, me being a Christian. And then this fateful statement came that she said, she said, oh, you're one of those born-again Christians. To which I was just like, okay. You know, I I wasn't quite sure what she was driving at. I was like, but for her, in her mind, she had obviously categorised Christians into ones who are born again and obviously other ones. And I fitted into the born-again category and obviously she had something in her mind with the the ones who weren't born, the other ones, if you know what I mean. And so from her point of view, she looked at me and she said, you're one of those born-again Christians, to which I was pretty ignorant of kind of what it meant at the time. I was fairly new in the faith. And so I, you know, what did you do in that situation? I just nodded. (laughs) I didn't know what to do. Looking back now on what I've studied and learned, I actually find actually that that's a strange statement, a born-again Christian. Because if you look at what Jesus said, is if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And so calling someone a born-again Christian is like saying a round circle or a small dwarf. You know, you're just naming something twice. There's no, there's no point, you know, to be a Christian, to be a believer, to have your faith and trust in Christ. You, you must be born again, Jesus. There was no ifs or buts there. If you fancy it, you want to be one of those type of Christians, Jesus says, you can be a born again one. If you want to be one of them, or you can just be, an, you know, your bulk standard kind of Christian. You know? No, Jesus said you must be born again. And so this whole kind of having an understanding of the new birth is, is vital for us. Uh, we have it from the lips of Jesus himself. So a few things about the new birth. What's it about? First of all, it is a radical new life. It is a radical new life. The Bible, when it describes us as a human being, has some pretty tough and meaty things to say about us. It describes us as dead. You're dead in your sins. You're spiritually dead. It says you're an object of God's wrath because of the sins that you have committed. It says you love darkness and you hate light. It says your heart is hard towards him. It says you're actually unable to please God. Unable. You cannot please him at all. And it says you're unable to accept the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That's what the Bible says about us humans. It's pretty damning, pretty hard. But then you get statements that you find... Uh, throughout um, the New Testament that say things like, but God. It's always good to have a but God. But it's things like, but God who is rich in mercy. But God because of his great love. Things change. And it says once you become a Christian, once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, something's happened to you. It talks about you are now alive with Christ. Corinthians talks us about becoming new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. Something radical has happened to us. And it's not about following a new set of rules trying to earn God's favour. It's not like, oh, we've got a new regime, a new kind of mantra, a new 12-step programme. It's not that. It's actually something fundamental has happened inside you. So a new birth is about a radical new life. It's also about experience, not affirmation. It's about something that happens to you that you know about it. Jesus talked about being born. I've watched two births, up close and personal, and my two sons knew what had happened to them. They knew something had happened to them. 
once they're born in the delivery room and they're, they're expecting something to happen. The midwives are looking for things when a child is born. One of the first ones they want to do is they want to hear the baby. Once the baby is born, they're kind of waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting, and then suddenly, <laughs> you think, that's it. That's a wonderful sign um, to have a crying baby in a delivery room. There is something that's happened, and it's an experience. Experience for the child, experience for the mother, experience for the father watching um, everything that's going on. Like the wind. When the wind blows, you know about it. If you're out and the wind is blowing, it's happening to you. There is an experience. And it's like that when someone is born again. Something happens to them that they know about. It is experience. It's not just a, a, a box you tick. It's, it's a radical life change that an individual has. I know for me, this happened to me when I was um, I became a Christian, when I got born again, there was something happened in my life. Like something changed. And I tried to put words on it. And kind of the following day, I was like, what has happened to me? But I know for me, I felt literally felt lighter. Like, like something like, like weights had been taken off. I felt cleaner, which is weird. Well, I was a student, but I was on the clean end of the student spectrum, I want to say. But I felt clean in a way that you couldn't be clean. Inside, I was clean. I'd been, my sins had been washed away, is kind of the phrase we'd use. But I didn't know the language, but something had happened to me. I had a passion and a zeal for Jesus and, and everything about him that had just changed my life. And you talk to people who've become Christians and say, what happened? And they'll tell you stories like that. They'll use different words and, and, and different ways of kind of describing But there'll be something happened to me. I went through a change. And that's what happens in the birth. Something happens to you. And the result of the new birth is a faith and a belief. A belief that comes out of it. Some sort of surefire trusting. It says in that, John 3, whoever believes there is faith. And it's more than a mental assent to kind of factual statements. A lot of people would mentally assent to Jesus, they'd probably mentally assent to what he'd said. Oh, that was good teaching, yeah, yeah, that's got some mileage in it. You know, Gandhi was a big fan of the Sermon on the Mount, that's in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. There was lots in there. He never made a profession of faith to follow Jesus and put his faith and trust in him. And if you dig into the passage and you read, you know, commentators who know the original language, they say, when it talks about belief, apparently John uses really bad Greek grammar uh, in this section. Because instead of saying just believing in something, John adds some words, so the grammar is unusual. And he's basically saying you have to believe into something, which is not how you'd normally say it. You'd just say like we do in English, you believe in something. But John says you must believe into it. You must believe into Jesus. Whoever believes into him, into the Son. And he's making the point that there is an active faith involved in the Christian life. There's an active faith result of the new birth that you're believing into something. You're believing into Jesus. It's like moving house. We moved house recently and we lived in one house and then we had to take our stuff out and go to the new house. We gave notice to our landlord and said we're buying this home over here and we had to move into that home. We had to take our stuff, we had to pack it in a boxes, put it in the van, drive down the road, get the new house and then take everything out and put it in the new house, and kind of make home there. And it's like that with the Christian faith. You must believe into something. There is a forward-thinking, kind of active passion to the Christian life. When you are born again, you have that faith that you put into Jesus. You're believing into him. It's into a person. It's not into rules, or kind of a society, or a culture. It's actually a, a person, God the Son, who came to earth. That is who you're putting your faith and trust into. And so... When we talk about what the new birth is, 
It is something that a radical transformation happens to your life. It is something that you know about and it's something that results in a faith and a belief, a surefire kind of assurance of who Jesus is and what he said and his claims. And so that's what it's all about. How does this happen? We read in 1 Peter, um, 1 Peter 1, 22-25, it says, it says this, that you have been born again, as our phrase, not of perishable seeds, but of imperishable. So this is something that is eternal and lasting. Through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, the good news that is preached to you. So we have the word of God, God's creative power. God said, let there be, and, and something was created. Then we know about the word who came flesh, saw that in the beginning of John, and dwelt among us. Jesus himself, that embodiment of God to man. And so it's through that, but then it also talks about the word being preached. So the very power of the word of God going out as we speak it, as we preach it. We do that every week here on a Sunday. We preach God's words, we proclaim it, we sing about it. It's very much part of it. But it's also something we live out in our daily lives. The fact that we are believers and we go about life and we do what we do and we speak out the good news of Jesus to those who would want to be interested, those who might ask us questions, those who might say what you do at the weekend, why you go to church, all these kind of things. We speak it out. And what I'd say to you guys is do not underestimate the power of the word of God that you're speaking out. Do not, because that's the way people are going to get born again. And according to this, it says it is imperishable, which means it's kind of eternal. And it's what you speak out is what's going to cause people to be born again. I, I know of stories of, of stadiums full of thousands of people with great men and women of God who stand at the front and open the Bible and they, they preach and it seems like hundreds and thousands of people come and become Christians and it's just like, wow, that's amazing. That's the word of God being preached. But I also know stories of faithful men and women of God who who speak to their friend, their neighbour, their colleague, and they, they fumble out a story of what God's done in their life. And they stumble over their words and they say, they say, I think I got it wrong, or did I get it in the right order? Yet God moves on his word and they're born again in front of their eyes. I know my dad, recently, my grandparents um, died um, the last couple of years, my nan and grandpa, my dad's parents, and he had the privilege of leading, leading both of them to Christ in the hospital before they died. And, thinking that's, and I remember speaking to Dad afterwards and he told me the story and he said, I don't know if I got it right. <laughs> I just I kind of said, you know, this is where it is, this is where you are, this is what God's done with me, I want to tell you. And he said, I don't know if I did a good job, I don't know, kind of it didn't seem to take very long and I, you know, come my words and I said, what happened? <laughs> what happened, Dad? He said, well, you know, his dad, my granddad, he said, well, he responded in faith and he became a Christian. I'm thinking, well, it sounds like you did just fine. You know, the power of God, it's not about our words, it's about the power of God's word. And he just, it came out and lives were changed there. So how people born again through the greatest power of God. And what's the result? What happens when someone is born again? Let me read also, this is also from John, but in one of his letters, it says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born, there's our word, born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. 
For this is the love of God that we keep his commands. Let me just kind of sum that up as time's running out. What does it mean to be born again? First of all, it means to love and have faith in Jesus Christ. It means to love him. It means that something in you, there is a stirring of affection in you for Jesus. There is something, a love for God, that, that is more than just a, you know, you know, I love it. If you love anyone on this earth, uh, parents, children, spouse, friends, there is something inside you that is stirred, some level of emotion. If there is no emotion stirred, I would submit to you that you do not love them. There's got to be something made. If you hear about bad news for them, you feel for that. If there's good news, you're excited for that. If you find out they're in danger or something's coming against them, you feel a sense of anger and protection towards them. Their very presence just makes something in you kind of light up just because they're around. You love them, and it's the same when you're born again. You love Jesus. Your, your affections are stirred for him. And in the contrast of that is you love him, um, and you love what he loves, but you also then hate what he hates. So there's actually, there's a converse, there's a hatred of sin. There's a love and affection for Christ, but at the same time, a hatred and a, a despising of sin. So if someone is born again, you see that. And I've seen that in people's lives. They become Christians, they get saved, and something, it's like someone's flipped a switch, and they're just like, man, Jesus is awesome and amazing. And I love him, I want to learn about him. Where's my Bible? You know, and people phone me up and they say, oh, you know, I, I read John last night. I mean, what do you mean? I, say, I read the whole Gospel of John, it's amazing. Because I just, I want to find out about him. You think, that's someone who's been born again. That pastor has said that we would love other believers. I find one of the most crazy things about church is that who's in it and the fact that we get on with each other. It's ridiculous. When you look around and actually see who's in it and how unlike they are from you and how much they would actually wind you up if you really looked closely at them and how much they looked at you and looked closely at you, how much you would clash. I, I always liken church to the big brother house. You know, the most eclectic group of men and women in the world with all their kind of baggage and problems shoved together and told, get on, <laughs> you're the church. And that is a recipe for disaster unless God's in it. Unless God's done something inside men and women that they would genuinely love one another even though they're different, different ages, different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities, different kind of likes and dislikes and character flaws and all these things. You love one another. And then it also says in that about your loving God's word, loving obedience to his commands, loving what he wants. That's the result of being born again. There's something in you um, that does that. So how do we respond to this? Let me just sum up. We'll finish um, here and we'll hand over to the worship guys. If you're a believer here this morning and you can sit here and say, do you know what? I know I've been born again. I know God has impacted my life. I love him. What I want to say to you today is enjoy it, celebrate it, love it, be thankful for it, be stirred by it, be kind of built up and say, this is an amazing thing that God has done in my life. Isn't it wonderful? Remembering that it's not based on your goodness or your kind of, you know, your smarts or anything you've worked out. Look at Nicodemus. He would wipe the floor with all of us if it came to kind of holiness and purity and devotion to God and learning. He would be miles ahead of us. And Jesus looks at him and says, unless you're born again, it means nothing. And so the very fact you're born again is an act of God. 
God chose you before the foundation of the world. It says, so enjoy it today. Just enjoy We're going to worship. We're going to sing. Sing loudly. Wave your arms around. Jump up and do what you want to do. But just enjoy what God has done in your life. Remember, next time when you go out the week this week and you're suddenly surrounded by people who don't know and love the Lord Jesus, actually, and, and they start questioning you about your faith, things come up, because they do, remember that what you're speaking out has huge power. It's, I mean, it's not the best illustration, but it's like you're walking around with a loaded gun. I mean, really, only it's more powerful than that. A loaded missile launcher or something, you know. When you speak out the word of God, and this is what God has said, this is what God has done, you might do it in the most ineffectual, quiet voice you can, but the creative power of God, the imperishable word, goes forth and changes men and women's lives. Because it did to me. There's no way I was going to become a Christian yet. God blew into my life, and here I am. Third thing I'd like to say to you guys, as you're a believer, pray for miracles. Because the new birth is a miracle. The Bible describes us as dead, lost, in darkness, far away from them. So if any of us are ever going to get changed or any of our friends are going to become Christians, our loved ones, God to do it, it needs God to work because he's the wind that blows where he wins. And so we're called to be men and women who faithfully pray and say, God, save them. God, save them. I encourage you, if you've got, you know, write down a name this week and say, here's my friend, here's my family member, here's my guy I know really well, I'd love God you to break into his life and pray for him this week that the miracle would happen, that miracle of new birth, and they would come and know him. If you're not a believer here, I would encourage you, come to know Jesus, be born again. If you want to talk to me again about what that means, what that practically works out, I'd love to chat with you. But it means putting your faith and trust in him, accepting his claims, accepting who he is. It means turning away from living the life with you in charge, you on the throne. We looked at that last week, didn't we? Who's on your throne? And that's what I mean. I'd love to talk to you about uh, that at the end. Do you want to stand? Ben, do you want to come up and get ready? And we'll just wa- wrap this up. Um, all right. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this truth of the new birth, Lord God. I want to thank you that you cause men and women to be born again. Lord God, it's not of our own skill, our own doing, our own smarts. It's, it's being born at the will of God. And it's something you do. It's a radical change. Lord, I want to thank you that you've taken us from death to life. Lord, I want to thank you you've taken us from light to dark. Lord, I want to thank you that, that when we were lost, you found us, uh, Lord God, and that you have saved us, Lord God. And what was once kind of heading for eternity without you, is now heading to eternity with you forever. Lord Jesus, I want to say I love you, I praise you, you are wonderful, you are glorious. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.